0: This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos.
1: Hospitality is about generosity of spirit and, you know, and being generous. Um, And if you're not generous in nature, then you're not good at hospitality.
0: This is The Luminaries on the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A career in hospitality can be a fulfilling adventure, traversing the globe, influencing and enhancing people's lives and creating experiences they'll remember forever. But it's also a hard slog, countless hours and dedication, draining on the creative process and pressures to constantly evolve and stay relevant. But these things also bring out the best in people and some not only create incredible careers but leave an indelible mark on the culinary landscape too. Christine Manfield is one of Australia's most influential chefs and restaurateurs. Christine, how are you?
1: Good, thanks, Anthony, and you?
0: I'm great. It's good to have you on the show. Um, I
1: know, it's a pleasure to be back chatting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've you've, uh, had an incredible impact on the culinary landscape but you weren't going to be a chef originally. what what was what flicked the switch to change from being a teacher to to a career in hospitality?
1: Oh, look! I just think endless opportunities. It was just the the road just led me that way, and um, it was just too enticing and too you know too seductive to to turn away from.
0: I want to explore um, moments in your career, but what was food like for you when you were young? What sort of role did it play in your family?
1: Look, it was very, um, without any disrespect to my family, I think I had a very typical um, upbringing um, given the times, you know, being a baby boomer. Um, so it was very, you know, you you um, it was just mainstream, meat and three veg sort of thing and um, quite on a quite an austere sort of budget, you know, being in a working class family. Um, so it wasn't certainly... Food wasn't seen as a as any, with any sense of celebration. I think you know, it was a big hoo ha for us to have a roast chook, um, which was a Christmas treat. You know, and, um, and now that's just such an everyday, you know, thing that no one thinks twice about.
0: Chris, you mentioned the um, normal sort of upbringing that you had with uh, with food, but you you ventured into the world of of teaching. Um, tell us about that moment when you decided and made the move into hospitality?
1: Well, I didn't really have a game plan when I I actually quit teaching when I got my long service leave. And um, it was really through travel, you know. So finished teaching because I wanted to, you know, head back overseas. So it was really a love of travel and also just throwing myself into – into the deep end, um, into other cultures, and you know the easiest way to access that is through food, and that's where the love of that's where the love affair really sort of started, and um, just you know took that as an opportunity to, you know, to to sort of have a go at doing something in Australia um, and um, see where it led me. I just thought, oh, well, I'll do this for a little while, when I get you know get bored with it or jack of it or it doesn't go anywhere, then um, that's time to step off the, you know, step off, step away from it. But it's still, you know, 40 years later, it's still happening.
0: What were the challenges with that initial start into the industry for you without that sort of traditional training?
1: Well, it was very easy, you know. It was um, back then, it was mid-80s, So, um, and Margie's, uh, Margie's my partner, her sister, had um, just opened a guest house in Robe in South Australia, which is the crayfish port, um, which has a huge swollen population during summer. And so, um, and she got a restaurant license. So she contacted us. We we're still living in Paris, you know, and um, thought, oh, well, we'll come home and give this a go. Um, she was a very keen cook as well, also a teacher. So both of us just muddled our way through. So I really um, just Just came in through the back door, if you like, Um, and also at the at the time, there were people really making headway and really starting to define food the food scene in Australia, and all came from different um, careers. You know, had Stephanie Alexander, had Yanni Kritsis, she had Philip Searle, who I went to work with. Uh, You know, yada yada. There was a whole bunch of whole bunch of people, and none of them had any formal institutional, you know, TAFE training um, in, in in cooking. So um, it was just through life experiences and a, and a very deep love for food and also making an impact and, and creating an imprint that was different to what we were used to because it was very Eurocentric, you know, mm-hmm. lots, of, lots of fat men in tall white hats, you know, standing around pontificating, which, you know, that, that sort of, you know, classic European hotel system of um, training was was the norm, and um, having come from come from um, the um, education you know education department and working in that system, I thought no, nah, I walked away from that. It's I'm not going to step back into it um, because you know I just thought it was just full of deadwood, and there had to be there had to be fresh voice and a, and a new way of doing things, and so you know that's that's so I just happened to be I think really lucky or fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, to be caught up in that in that momentum, along with um, a whole bunch of others that I've mentioned, and many more.
0: South Australia was really exciting in that time. And there were rebels like yourself that were carving a new path for the conversation in food for Australia. You worked with some um people that went on to have huge influence like yourself. do you have any stories from those days of the sort of teams that were together and um, the experiences you had?
1: look it was it was an incredibly collaborative time. I mean you know sort of being in adelaide, living in Adelaide at that time there was a a, a sort of a group of you know nonconformists if you want to call them um, that used to meet at the central market every friday morning and just talk about food and what could be done and stuff so you had Chong Lu, you had Philip Searle you had Michael Simons Kath Carey you know um, whole pile of people like that. And so it was – and that went on to create the Gastronomy Symposium, you know, Barbara Santich, et cetera, um, which was sort of an offshoot of the Oxford Gastronomy Symposium. So it was very sort of cerebral and intellectual as well as being hands-on physical sort of work, you know. So um, I think that that had that had a profound influence on me and the way I approached food, and sort of you know having that having the sort of the the, the wanderlust and the travel bug, it sort of led me to to places all over the world and um, just thought yeah I can do something with this and bought the sort of the two things of travel and food together and let that inform the way I wanted to cook and so I I sought out. People that I wanted to 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 work with, collaborate with, and to and to cook with.
0: You've uh, travelled all over the world, and also taken people all over the world to it's, immerse into cultures and cuisines. Are, are there any trips that you can tell us about that really had an impact on the direction that you took as a as a cook?
1: Um, look, I go anywhere where there's spice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my that's my starting point, and I think. The first time I, I you know, it would be remiss of me not to say India, even though that's not the the sum total of what I do. Um, going to India in the in the um, early nineties as a as a guest chef in residence um, at um, at a hotel restaurant there, um, I that really and already sort of being familiar with the with the whole spice world and those ingredients, that really sort of opened new doorways of. Ways of thinking, and um, I just sort of got it, and you know, letting that sort of seep into my work more, and you know, and you know, um, convert, yeah, and as well, sort of you know, spending a lot of time in, in Asian countries because I just just am so in love with the the flavors and the textures of how of how dishes come together in Thailand, you know, Malaysia, Cambodia, Vietnam, etc., China um and it was something very different i think that was it was also a big reaction or you know showing that these 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 types of foods these flavors could have equal standing with anything that Europe had to offer at the same time. I loved going to Europe too, and sort of you know um learning as much like you know everywhere was for me was a was a learning curve.
0: The foundation of your career has been about collaborations and and working with mentors, and now you've mentored so many of the young hospitality professionals. But who who were really important to you as mentors as you developed your career?
1: Well, I would say, um, um, Kath Kerry, who um, back then at the time she was a, one of Adelaide's. Um, better known um, caterers and then she stepped into the restaurant arena with the opening of Petaluma restaurant up at um, uh, Bridgewater Mill uh, when Petaluma Wines um, bought that property and opened it as a showcase and that's when I went and you know boldly walked in and asked for a job and got it um and but she was very you know very Euro, she was very eurocentric and, and French in her, in her unapolog, unapologetically. So um, and that was, it was great sort of training. But from there, and I also you know, while I was there, Philip had come Philip Searle had come back from um, um, New York, having closed possums in Adelaide the year before, had a sabbatical in New York and came back to open Oasis Soros in Sydney. And, you know, we were already starting to think we need to live in a big city. You know, having travelled to, you know, every opportunity to big cities in the world, Adelaide just didn't quite cut it. It was like a country town. And we just want, I just wanted to throw myself into a much bigger pond. And, um, and so, you know, pursued Philip to, um, to, um, to come to, you know, so I could come to Sydney and work at, um, at Oasis. Which uh, which did happen about sort of seven or eight months after after he opened it, I got there and uh, had to wait a little bit. So in my in my sort of you know waiting time for five or six weeks, I think it was, I worked with um, went to work at the wharf, which had just opened with Anders Ausback. Wow! Mm. So that taught me that taught me short order cooking and crazy mass numbers in a tiny little kitchen. <laughs>
0: Paragon Phoenix paramount all incredible periods of time in our culinary landscape what was it like um, and the challenges in in opening those venues and creating um, your vision
1: well the, um, the the two pubs which were paramount and Phoenix were owned by the same people so we used to do lunch at paramount with uh, Paragon sorry which is in the city and then pack up and go and do dinner at, at the the little little jewel like a very small 20 24 seats um, at the Phoenix in Walara. Um, the it was a great starting point going into pub dining room you know if you you know they probably call them gastro pubs these days um, but you you were you were sort of constrained because it wasn't your business as such. You know, you were um, you had to make you had to make the money off the food because they took the booze money. Um, that was the the return for for having the space. So you had to be. It, it taught us to be fairly business savvy straight off the bat, um, and it was a very very um, a really good stepping stone. And I'm really glad we we did that. And it gave us the courage and also the confidence to um to know that we you know we always said a girl needs a room of her own so we went we went on the hunt for um for a restaurant space and that's when paramount came about in in 93
0: paramount um about 7 years was a influential um, one of sydney's best diners uh, tell us about that restaurant and and how you found your voice on the plate there
1: well i think we you know i think like any business you really have to stay true to your vision and um and and also ask yourself constantly what's my, what's my point of difference what 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 am i going to do what am i offering that's going to allow me to stand apart in the pack i think it's a much harder exercise these days than it was back then um um, because just because you know, it, there's just so many more players now, but but back then it was still you know the, the whole, in modern Australian food, um, scene was still av- you know still happening. It was still you know it was in embryo embryo embryonic uh, stage, back then, and um, and once again just really fortunate to to be able to mix it with other. Um, Hot young players at the time, you know, and uh, all hang out together. So David Thompson and Neil Perry, Steve Manfredi, you know, Tony Billson, etc. There's a whole whole bunch, and 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 it was very much um, like a, a tribe, you know, um, and wanting to do things differently. There was that common sort of common sort of goal, and everyone bringing their own sort of you know personality to the to the. To the table or onto the plate, and while we all sat under, you know, the the, um, the modern Australian food thing umbrella is a very broad church, <laughs> you know, um, it encompasses an awful lot, which which makes it difficult to explain in one sentence, um, because it um, because it does come down often to to the personality or what what that particular chef is, is um, how they're interpreting flavor, how they're using ingredients that are around them and expressing it in their own way.
0: This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, helping managers and staff do their best work.
1: Building a business is hard. I feel it as I build my business. But I can tell you one thing, that every single day I feel very blessed for the impact our business, Deputy has in this hospitality community and the numerous stories that we have been part of. Stories where I've heard Deputy customers who have opened new restaurants because of the cost savings they have had by implementing Deputy in their business. Being able to open new restaurant, creating New employment, new opportunities, and new connections.
0: For more information, go to deputy. With your experience with um, many venues, how do you strike that balance between viability, uh, the vision that you have, and the creativity and and um, and success?
1: Um, well, I think you know it's it's really important to stay. The creative juices get you know just go off the Richter scale, really. When you when you've got business, which is great, you know the busier you are, the more creative you get. I think, um, and constantly to just sit back for and reflect, you know where you are, what am I doing, what could I do differently uh, without having any sort of knee jerk reactions. Um, it is that sort of staying true and staying the course, and seeing and seeing the vision come become reality, and 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 always. And Philip taught me this. How can I do something better? How can I make it more perfect? You know that that strive, that that constant striving for um, excellence and and establishing those benchmarks of excellence along the way, and um, and just you know really not being satisfied with anything that's less than than what you perceive as being perfect, you know. And if it's not perfect, work on it more before you before you go public.
0: You spent a couple of years in London with East at West. How how different was that hospitality um, industry compared to Australia and what did you take from that time?
1: Um, well, it had a huge impact, of course. You know, going into – it was, you know, throwing fat into the fire, sort of a much, much bigger playing field. Um, it's just a, it's just a bigger, uglier version of, um, of, of what what Sydney was like, um, just, just, just purely because of the, the massive size of that city, um, but it was at a really exciting time when, when the UK were just sort of starting to wake up to, the fact that there was uh, good food to be found outside of Europe, um, and so Asian. Restaurants with Asian influence were starting to take off. You know, you had David Thompson with Nam, who'd just opened Hakasan, Zuma, uh, things like that. There were just, you know, so it was off the back of that that um, I was invited or headhunted over to um, to um, head up this um, restaurant. In um, in Covent Garden, and we called it East at East at West because it was really about East, you know, bringing the flavours of the East, and it happened to be on West Street, so we just did a play on words. Um, plus, you can take the, the true sort of meaning of you know East at East at West, you know, while it wasn't traditional. Asian food in the in the sense it was it was you know done in a more fine dining um, sort of context with with a with a Western looking looking at Asian flavors through a Western lens. So it was incredibly successful. We managed to make our mark in that time and um, and get really good recognition uh, for what for what we were doing. Um, it was just cut short by the um, I guess the lack of. Um, in, lack of support from the the owners of the business who sought to just sell the property off and so I bought that I bought what I was doing you know because I knew the whole formula and what we were set out to achieve I uh, hadn't it hadn't it hadn't been fully realized there so just bought it back and um, and that became the 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 starting point for universal which opened you know in sydney in 2007
0: and universal uh, was an incredible addition to the culinary landscape how, how different was that compared to what you had done before and what did you love about that period of time in, in your career
1: look i think doing business in the new millennium in the noughties um, was an entirely different experience to the 90s the 90s were like oh, it was just incredible hedonism at the time and it was totally freewheeling and and wild in a way, you know. Um, and then the, the the whole nature of our, our industry sort of started to change around the time of the Olympics, became a lot more corporatized, And so it was sort of like the big business had come to town and sort of in a way taken over. And I think the 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 value of being in London for those couple of years really taught me about how to handle um business a whole lot more effectively um, and look at that it that was as important as um, the creativity in terms of the creative input that you that you give to the business so i had i you know I was able to you know basically Look at look at the business and build the business both ways, you know, through a business perspective and through a creative perspective.
0: Mentors uh, you mentioned influenced your career. What sort of advice do you have uh, for those looking to start a business, given the uncertainty of the last two years, but um, the foundations of making a great hospitality business?
1: Look, um, look, it's just really tough. there's no there's no two ways around it. Um, I think. Just be really, really sure of what you're doing. Don't overstretch yourself um, in the sense that, you know, ask yourself, I'm going into debt. Um, and the only way you can sleep at night is to know that you, you can put yourself in a position that if if, if the shit hits the fan and it all, goes, it all goes south, can I pay that debt off without, you know, without, um, you know, killing myself? And if you can't do that, then you have to really ask the question, is it really worth it? Um, I think the nature of business is, you know, just the, just the amount of businesses that are opening and, you know, we have a finite, you know, number of people um, to, to, you know, as customers to draw on. Um, so you've got to really, and it comes back to that question of where do I see myself in the market and what, What's my point of difference to everybody else? And it doesn't matter at what level you're coming in at, um, whether it's a cafe or a bistro or, you know, or a fine dining restaurant or anything else, regional, you know. what What is it, what is it that I've got that's going to attract people to come to me? So the, 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 it's just sort of simple things like that. And to really, you know, listen to your own gut instinct. You can get advice from, you know, 10,000 people and you can get, you know, so many different opinions. So you've got to. It's 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 wise to get counsel, and to to look at all the possibilities, but to also really trust your gut.
0: These days, you're involved in all sorts of initiatives from producers all the way to um, hospitality professionals as a, as a mentor and um, with with incredible advice. What's life like for you now? What's some of the projects that you've been doing?
1: Um. Well, my, my current project is, um, is um, the release of my new book, um, Indian Cooking Class. So that's, that's occupying a lot of my time um, and will do so for the next sort of quite a few months because, you know, if, uh, being, uh, being up where I live, I just do local little pop-ups and um, street eats and, um, you know, bookstall. I did a bookstall Friday at the uh, Mullum at the Mullum Farmers Market. And a lot of the, the literary events or lunches and dinners that I that were planned for November all got all fell over because of the border closures, you know, so it restricted me from being able to to take the book on the road and do the interstate things. So we're we're picking we're picking that up in the in the in the new year around April. Um, to give to give a, a longer Run and also for the opportunity for, um, you know, keen cooks and readers in all those different um, parts of Australia to be able to come and, um, you know, taste some food and chat about, chat about what I love about, you know, cooking with spice and all that sort of stuff. So, um, and, you know, and, and continuing to, you know, sort of have a few fingers in a few different pies, you know, working with producers, particularly up here in the Tweed region. Um, and we have different things that happen up here, like the Artisan food weekend and um, and i'm and I'm hosting um, there's a small group foodie foodie trips. Um, <coughs> so I've got the Tweed um, region up on it'll be up available um, in the new year that's eight people that I take and I've got Arnhem Land and Arnhem Land and Flinders Ranges, again which are already booked out. Um, and it's also equally it's about not just about the food but it's about making that connection to country on the cu- the country that you're on and and threading threading the importance of that history into into the everyday narrative
0: you've uh, spent your career immersing yourself into cuisines and cultures and have a beautiful natural approach to cooking. How does cooking make you feel?
1: I just find it really easy and relaxing. <laughs> I um, mean, you know, I, you know, it's something that I do every day. I don't ever shy away from it. Although I really love it when <laughs> someone else cooks for me, <laughs> uh, whether that's in a in a restaurant, you know, like you know, and I like to go to different restaurants. One to support um, chefs and their businesses, and also to see, you know, to see what's going on. You know, see how how they're interpreting. Um, um, their, their food flavors, etc., and um, and um, you know, and also it gives you a, it gives you a measure of if you if you're if you're in this game, you've got to stay relevant, you know. So it is really important to know what you're um, in a way. If you're a restaurateur, know what your your competitors are doing. Um, and for me, it's just a you know the the day I think that um, I have got nothing to offer. That's when I when I take a step sideways and remove myself from the public stage altogether, but that hasn't happened yet.
0: You uh, You were drawn by the connections um, forged in the industry and built a career based on those connections and collaborations. What is it about the hospitality sector that, that it excites you so much?
1: Well, I, I think it is that, you know, that shared love and it's about hospitality. The general hospitality is about generosity of spirit. And, you know, and being generous, um, and if you're not generous in nature, then you're not good at hospitality, um, and you know, um, and just the joy of work. You know, I just think when you when you work in a team, because it's all about teamwork. Um, it's just the next step of that is you know is is the collaboration thing. You know, where you where everyone has sort of. An equal voice it's what you all bring to the – collectively can bring to the table and, you know, often it changes your, your way of looking at something or doing something. Um, it's refreshing to see someone, um, you know, do something different. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, you know. Um, so I just think it's a constant learning curve and that's the joy that I get out of it because it's, you know, it's, it's – you know, it's the education side of it as well as the, you know, so that's thrilling, you know, so it's feeding, your, it's feeding your brain and your mind as as well as nourishing you in so many other ways.
0: The last two years have been challenging for everyone on the planet, but the hospitality sector has had huge ramifications. What are, what are the opportunities and, and what are you hoping for, for the industry in
1: 2022? Um, look, I just think... It has been incredibly challenging. It's been horribly difficult for so many, and um, it's taught us to be, you know, to dig deep and have even more resilience than we thought possible or imaginable. Um, and I, you know, I really applaud um, the younger ones who are, you know, in some ways doing things on a shoestring. Doing this, um, I'm, I'm all about supporting the small, the small. Um, independent operators, you know, whose, whose total life is is in the balance. You know, they've really put themselves out on a limb to um, to pursue their their dreams um, in the business and um, rather than, you know, giving money over to the, to the big corporates.
0: Well, Chris, it's an absolute honour to have you on the Luminaries today on Deep in the Weeds and an absolute pleasure to catch up with you again as always. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
1: Okay, cheers. Thanks, Anthony.
0: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au Stay safe and be well.